Business School. Welcome to the Business School podcast, where you'll learn how the world of business is being redefined. My name is Daryl Pereira, and I'm a senior brand and content strategist here at IBM. Today, we have a special episode featuring Nicole Lamoureux, IBM's head of HR, in conversation with Alex Colvin, dean of the School of Industrial and Labor Relations at Cornell University. They discuss what artificial intelligence means for the future of work, including how it impacts employee productivity and useful tips on how to incorporate AI into HR processes. Here's Alex to kick things off. It's a real pleasure to be joining Nicole here today. I think we're going to have a great conversation about one of the topics that is really a front and center of a lot of people's minds today. We're seeing the AI revolution in a lot of areas, and it's something people are wrestling with in lots of companies at work, in their own jobs. And organizations are really struggling to think about how best to to deal with this. I'm really interested in talking to you about how IBM has been handling this, Nickel, because one of the things that really jumped out to me is, you know, we think about IBM as a leading technology company, but at IBM, IBM HR has really been at the forefront of embedding AI automation into its tools and processes, which might surprise people when they think about, you know, HR is really about people, but it's also a place where at IBM, HR has really been client zero for some of your AI products, and you lead the company in innovative new offerings, experiences for the IBMers. So I'd love to hear more about that, how this came to the forefront at IBM HR. It probably sounds a little unusual to some that in the AI revolution, that HR has become the testing ground. And it's really because this technology advancement is happening at the same time some other forces are affecting all organizations, companies, it doesn't matter if you're big or small, workplaces in general. Three forces are also hitting organizations. One is that there is an increased focus on what we'll call efficiency, optimal cost. If you're going to spend a dollar, you want to spend it in the place that's getting the right return. So that is hitting all organizations. The second thing that's hitting is also an increased complexity in compliance, regulatory environment, States, cities, countries, jurisdictions around the world are all embracing different workplace issues, but they're also setting different standards. So this is hitting HR departments, organizations to then comply with different sets of standards, increasing complexity, which if you notice, flies in the face of what we're talking about of optimal cost. And then there's a third thing that won't surprise anybody, and that is employees all of us, are expecting consumer-grade experiences in the workplace. Just like what you experience outside of the workplace, you're expecting those same simple, mobile, user-friendly tasks to happen inside the workplace. Again, a lot of pressure then when you're dealing with complex environments. So these three things are happening at the same time the AI technology is being really ratcheted up. 
And so what we're finding is actually this was the perfect marriage. There was no way we were going to solve those three forces by running the same processes we've always run or just putting more people into the equation. The way we were going to solve those three forces was actually by adopting the technology. And so as just as you said, everywhere from onboarding to compensation to payroll processing, we are finding ways to embed AI into our processes to make them better for our employees, better for the HR professionals that are executing them, but also to embrace and make things more seamless. So for us, this was a convergence of factors that all came together. And I, for one, would have struggled with the three forces if AI kind of hadn't come to the rescue. I think that's a really interesting point when you think about the manager today dealing with that complexity. How do you, you know, you're the same manager that you were, but you're dealing with this extra complexity of the challenges, uh, extra burdens being placed on you. I mean, you sort of think of almost like a pilot, right? You know, flying a plane today needs all that technology. They're still the brilliant pilot, but the technology helps them do the work. And it sounds like that's sort of what the AI is doing for the manager here. Absolutely. You know, we think it's kind of unlocking, it's assisting, it's enabling, it's allowing them to deal with that complexity in in new ways. So exactly as you said, it is kind of unlocking and amplifying them. Now, you've got the AI up and running, but I'm sure there must have been challenges in uh, bringing it all together, right? I mean, I think, you know, we sometimes think about, oh, you turn on the technology and it works, but many of us had a lot of experiences with technologies where, you know, you, know, you open the box or open the, you know, install the software, and then it's quite a while before everything's working the way you want. Can you talk about some of the challenges about uh, trying to launch this revolution, how you're using AI? So we actually started our AI automation journey in 2017. So we were an early adopter and we did it with a chatbot, a digital assistant, what we call Ask HR internally. And that digital assistant was supposed to help the workforce by surfacing up answers to HR questions in a real-time way. You know, the chatbot is always on 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It can ingest all that complexity that we were just talking about and surface up the answer to the question. So that's where we first piloted this. But as you stated, there were several changes. The first, which I think will not surprise anyone, is the technology itself was still in early stages. Sometimes you could tell you were talking to a chatbot. And so that creates a lower employee experience. The second is purely behavior change. And that is all of us as individuals. If you're used to asking a person a question, how comfortable are you now loading the chatbot, asking the question? So that was another challenge that we had. And a third challenge that we had were the HR professionals themselves. Thinking about this of, is this a replacement of me? Is Mm -hmm. this an augmentation of the work that I do? And so getting them through that change management. If we fast forward to where we are today, so about five years later, this chatbot now serves 9 million interactions a year. 9 million. So clearly we broke through the barrier of adoption. But more than that, it is saving managers and employees time. The NPS, the net promoter score for the chatbot, is now over 35. Mm -hmm. 
And we're also finding that for HR professionals, what has happened is this has totally changed their day-to-day job, where they were maybe spending a significant time before doing manual, routine work. That is now being handled by the AI and automation. And the average HR band for our generalist population has increased by almost two. So they are clearly doing higher value work and kind of more fulfilling careers from that perspective. But again, it's certainly some challenges to get over in the beginning. Yeah, you mentioned that trust and technology aspect, that kind of reliance, you know, and you think about technologies we use every day, you know, a calculator, I trust the calculator will give me the right answer. But, you know, if I have some medical issue, there's all the equipment, but I like to have the doctor there who I rely on to give that. So how did you deal with that question of getting the employees and managers to trust and use the technology? So there were a couple principles and what I'll call guardrails we set at the very beginning. And I think this is very important for any organization. So we did adopt the transparency and trust policies that are out there around AI that the U.S. has adopted, the EU has adopted. We've also put some of our own guardrails in place around this. So the first thing we said was AI is never a decision maker. So that AI can surface up data, it can surface up recommendations, but decisions are uniquely made by humans. The second thing we said was that AI is always transparent and explainable. And so this is really important. So if the AI is giving you an answer to maybe a vacation question or a medical benefits question, Is it citing the source? Do you know where it's coming from? Do you know what data it's factoring in about you? Maybe what city or state you sit in. And that explainability is really important to building trust. And then the third thing we always said is that as you use AI, that the data, the insights from the AI are owned by the creator. And so this is also really important. We're not ingesting data from other sources and then learning off of that. We are really holding to data privacy laws around the AI. And so that has also significantly helped. Again, for anybody getting started on this, I think it's important for you to look at these trust and transparency principles not only for just credibility in your own organization, but some of the jurisdictions you operate in are also going to require this for compliance. But the second thing is to also then think about, even aside from what regulatory might be required, what makes sense for your organization? Where are you going to uniquely use AI? And in what cases aren't you going to use AI? So for basic benefits questions, we use AI. When you actually need subject matter expertise about a sensitive medical situation, that is immediately routed to a human. And that's, again, something very specific to to IBM. But I think it's important for organizations to think about in their organization, where should the AI be working? And then where should we have humans really be the intervening force? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point to think about with some of the examples that we've heard about issues with AI, you know, and hiring decision making where sort of biases are being introduced and you end up 
sort of replicating an existing workforce that was hired 20, 30 years ago because you're just copying what you've done in the past, which seems very different than the technology situation with the benefits question, say, in the middle of the night, I wish somebody would tell me what the uh, dental reimbursement is, right? Very different kinds of HR decisions. Absolutely. When you're thinking about this kind of question of bringing AI in, you know, you're thinking if somebody else, maybe my organization is going to bring it in, just beginning their AI journeys, what factors do you think they should be thinking about? I can imagine things like, you know, the cost question, is it going to be worth it, right? There might be upfront <laughs> investments we have to make. Is this really going to be worth it? Or are we going to spend you know, a bunch of money and then we're going to spend a whole bunch of time dealing with, uh, dealing with the AI, making it work? What would you tell somebody who's thinking about that kind of decision at the start as an organization? I think this is really important. Right now, AI is still in the phase of what I will call bite-size experimentation. So how it's going to unlock value in your organization or transform processes isn't going to be a big bang, three-year technology implementation. The time to value is much shorter. It's much smaller. I call it kind of Lego blocks that you're going to be building in different parts of your organization and experimenting with. So the first piece of advice that I have for any organization is just get started. Just to get started. And think about this as you can start small and build on. So as an example, if I could go back in time, back to 2017, the chatbot story I told you, it's a huge success five years later. But in the beginning, it was a little rough. And in my opinion, it was because we oversold the AI. We told our workforce, this chatbot is going to answer all of your HR questions. It's going to do it all. And the reality is, if I could go back in time, I would have scoped it much smaller. I would have thought about what are the most often questions that are coming in to our call centers, our HR teams. And I would have said, all this is going to answer for you are benefits questions or maybe only time off questions. I would have started small and experimented. So just get started. The second thing is scope something small so that you can take your employees on the journey. You can test things with them, try it out, get feedback real time. I think that's also really important. And then once it starts working, you can add the next Lego block on. The third thing I would say is don't miss the point that we just talked about, which is set some guardrails for yourself on how the experiments are going to work. Are you going to experiment with AI being a decision maker? Are you going to experiment in certain areas or are you going to allow, take a human first approach in those areas? So set those principles, set those guardrails with AI. So that's the advice that I would give as people are starting on this journey, but it is going to be fascinating how I think this is really going to change all of our work. I think something that people uh, sometimes overestimate is how much work it takes to get where we may end up, right? We often have these kind of images of technology. We're going to have the flying cars, the Jetsons, you know, even the, the self-driving cars. You know, I remember three, four, five years ago, people were like, oh, they're going to be here tomorrow. And then they weren't here tomorrow. So they're like, well, they're not happening. But now you start to see they are in San Francisco. You've got actual uh, 
cars driving people around with experiments. So it sounds like that's kind of the process you're seeing at IBM is sort of starting specific area. But now it sounds like this, you're using this across a pretty broad range of areas now. We are. And I think you're on exactly the right point. Over the medium to long term, this is going to be totally transformational. But don't underestimate the impact it can have in the short term Mm -hmm. and what might seem like something very small. So as an example, a couple other places where we put in AI and automation. One is we do have automated employment verification letters. Now, in the past, we would have had a small team doing nothing but generating these. You might need them if you're applying for financial aid to go to Cornell or maybe getting a mortgage on a house. And we'd have a small team dedicated to doing nothing but this. Or some of you might be in organizations where you outsource it to a vendor. So an employee raises a request and 24 hours, 48 hours later, the employment verification letter goes through. We now have automated this where you can get your employment verification letter in 90 seconds. So again, think about not just the time savings of that, but think about the employee experience. So when my high school senior tells me last minute he needs some employment verification information for financial aid, rather than me worrying about how I'm going to get it in the timeline, I can immediately go in and get it done. And so that is a very small use case for AI, but it's having a massive impact on the organization, the processes in the organization, but also the employee experience. We've done similar things as you think about transfers. Employee might transfer from one manager to another. It's now automated through the chatbot versus logging into systems. It's taking 75% less time. So again, these may seem like very small tactical things, but when you save people even 15 minutes, 15 minutes a day or 15 minutes a month over 40 processes, you start to really now unlock value for your workforce on things that drive, whether it's revenue or better employee client experiences, which make a difference. So you already touched on this a little bit, but I'm thinking about what this then means for the work of the HR professional today Mm -hmm. and going forward. If you think about the HR team that you lead at IBM, you know, I'm sure there's sort of some trepidation. What is it going to mean for our HR jobs? Uh, How are you thinking about that? Where do you see this going? And I know, Dean Colvin, you and I have had lots of discussion about this because this is one of these topics that I'm probably most passionate about making sure we're all having the right conversation about. And one of the things that frustrates me as we think about AI in the future of work is that I think too much time is being spent on the doomsday scenario of AI replacing humans and we're going to need less people. And I think we need to reframe the conversation. Are there jobs that are going to go away because of AI? The answer is probably yes. But I think it's a small fraction of jobs in the workforce. And just like other technologies, you know, whether it's been the internet, there are jobs that go away, but they go away over a much longer arc. But new jobs also get created. And the rate of that change, the new jobs certainly outpace the jobs that are going away. 
But again, I think both of these new jobs and jobs going away are on the fringes. Think of it as single percentage points. I think the bigger conversation that maybe we aren't having enough of, and I hope everybody on this webcast is thinking about is AI is going to change every job. It's going to change my job, going to change your job, Dean Colvin. And we need to get ready for how those jobs are going to change. And we need to prepare workforce for that. I also think about, I I often make the comment that if I could go back in time, I would change the term artificial intelligence to augmented intelligence. And I think it's at the crux of this fact that most of our jobs tasks are going to exist, but it's how do we use AI to help accelerate it? And that is what I think is really, really critical right now that we prepare the workforce on thinking about what skills are going to be needed to work with AI, what tasks are going to remain the same, and which ones that underpin some jobs are going to fundamentally change. And those are the work design questions that I think in the short term, weeks, months, over the next year, we've got to have serious conversations about to prepare the workforce for. Yeah, I think that's such an important point to think about the reality that we've had technological changes going on for, for many, many years, right? And when I'm teaching, sometimes teach about the, the classic movie on the waterfront about sort of labor and the New York docks back in the day when there was lots and lots of longshoremen unloading ships. Nowadays, you go, if you're landing at Newark Airport, you can see, you know, the cranes right there. And there's still longshoremen running those cranes. They get paid a lot fewer of them. They're much more efficient doing it. They've really augmented technologically how they're doing the work. So the work is still there. It's just changed a lot by technology. And I think that's a really important point you're making, right? That we have to think about how we're going to be doing the work when we have the technology, when we're working with it. You know, even something like... uh, you know, your example with the with the letters that you want to get the employment, right? Like there are situations where you want that letter automatically, but then you hear about examples of kind of misuse. It was the the one involving some termination letters that were automatically generated and uh really not the kind of letter that I think any ethical organization would want to be giving to an employee in a very difficult situation where you want that kind of interactive kind of personal touch in the conversation. I mean, it's sort of learning how to use the technology in a way that, you know, enhances the work and produces the response that you're hoping to get out of it. Absolutely. And I think that is important, right? The technology exists, but how are you applying judgment on where the technology should be applied? And I think that is critical for all of us to be thinking about. And recognizing which bits you might want to automate and which bits you should not be automating, you should uh, maintain as part of that human work product and the human touch being necessary for them. You've been listening to an excerpt of a conversation between IBM Chief HR Officer Nicole Lamoureux and Alex Colvin from Cornell University. You'll find a link to the whole conversation in the show notes. My name is Daryl Pereira, and this has been the Business School Podcast. Subscribe to hear more about how emerging trends like AR are impacting business. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.